Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, my guest is Mara Bishop. Mara is a shamanic practitioner, an intuitive consultant, teacher, author, and artist. In private practice, she uses her personal evolution counseling method to provide an integrated approach to spiritual healing, personal growth, and emotional well-being. Her books, Shamanism for Every Day, 365 Journeys, and a book on inner divinity, Crafting Your Life with Sacred Intelligence, are resource guides for spiritual practice. And with Sounds True, she has created a new audio learning series. It's called Shining Bright Without Burning Out, Spiritual Tools for Creating Healthy Energetic Boundaries in an Overconnected World. In this conversation, Mara and I talk about how we can learn to actually value our sensitivity instead of feeling overwhelmed and burdened by it through the creation of what she describes as healthy energetic boundaries and by knowing our energy archetype, our energy personality archetype, and using that as a baseline of self-awareness for how we interact with other people. Here's my conversation with the very creative Mara Bishop. To begin, Mara, tell me how you first became a shamanic practitioner? What's the journey that took you to that? Oh, um, the winding path. I, I can tell you the the moment of my first shamanic journey. Sure. Right. So I think maybe that's the, a pivotal moment. Um, and then we can work backward and forward. Um, I was uh, lying in a field in New Hampshire with... Um, a couple family members, my mom and my grandmother, and um, a group of really special women. And a friend was um, teaching us how to journey and go and and look for, ask to connect to um, an animal spirit. And I really didn't have a, a whole lot of context for this. I was I was quite young and. So I was kind of wide open, just like, okay. Um, and when I was greeted by this particular spirit, I knew them. I had um, seen them before in meditations and in other 
places. And it was this kind of recognition. Um, it was this coming home moment of, oh, this being is here, but this being is other places too. Um, they'd come to me before and it felt like um, my world just opened up. Now, a couple things here. What were you doing when you say I was lying in the field and you were journeying? What were you doing? Um, well, the, this this friend who was kind of trained in the shamanic world in core shamanism, she was drumming for us to help us shift into our, you know, kind of different state of consciousness. And um, we had been, you know, given some basic instructions about how do you how do you kind of move into those other other realms, you know, we could talk about the lower world or the shamanic state of consciousness. How do you shift your state to um, to be in a place where we can perceive a little bit differently, where we can, you know, invite contact from helping spirits? And then you, you mentioned that a being appeared. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me more. Describe this being. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to be really somewhat blunt. I, I mean, I get a little bit, um, I wrote about this one, so I will just kind of blurt it out. Um, but I always get a little bit, I feel a little bit shy sometimes about talking about the specifics of journeys or about these kind of, you know, encounters with helping spirits because they, those, those experiences feel very intimate. Right. So I appreciate your question. This is not at all like, don't ask me that question. I love the no, question. No, but it's kind of like I'm asking you about your sex life yeah. in front of other people or yeah, something. And, yeah. Like, and I have talking. talked to people on this podcast about their sex life. So, right. And it's like, we, there's no reason why we shouldn't talk about our sex lives or talk about our journey experiences. Um, but I always do a little pause to, to kind of feel out does this feel okay? And also, it's a relationship. So, is it so? Specifically, with some of my helping spirits, it's okay to talk about it. With some of them, I will never disclose. Sure. Well, I want right. to be respectful, so only yeah. as you only are. as it feels right to you. Yeah, Please. and you are. And I did write about this particular um, helping spirit in the in Shamanism for Every Day in my book, Shamanism for Every Day. So it's not like it's a big secret. Um, if you come to my house, you'll see there's like images of this being around. It's not a so but this particular spirit is a tiger. Um, and, you know, when I saw them, I realized, you know, like, like in high school, it's like I had in going into those quiet moments of um, formal meditation of really informal meditation, because I didn't know what I was doing back when I was high school or, or after college or whatever, very young there's something that was so confirming about that, having this, even if I didn't quite understand what the relation would evolve into or how helpful it would be in my life over the, you know, decades, seeing, seeing them in these different um, ways just was just so inspiring to me, so impactful. Okay. So in your first experience with your mother and your grandmother there, mm. which is just beautiful, uh, lying in a field, mm. this uh, helping spirit, as you describe, a tiger appears mm. in your inner sight. Mm -hmm. Now, for someone who says, you know, 
helping spirits, really? Do I have helping spirits? Do mm. we all have helping spirits? And Mara, if you believe we do, mm. can you give me right now a way I could contact my helping spirit? Because I'm not convinced that mm -hmm. I have one. Let's just say someone's yeah. having that yeah. question. So my, my first response is kind of like a pre-response to that, which is I really try not to um, convince anybody of anything. So I, I always try and be um, respectful of, I'm not there to proselytize or lobby or, or inflict my, you know, my views. And also my views are changing, right? Like, so right now I feel like, oh, this is, I might put this label on that experience. But I also think that I'm, I'm kind of a, enough of a, a baby in the spiritual <laughs> you know, spectrum of things that what I think is truth right now, I may realize, oh, wait a second, I had this wrong. I sure. need to change and, and grow, right? So, but what I would say to someone who was, you know, um, having that kind of question of how, how might I connect, right? Do we all have, I would have kind of the, the theoretical answer of if you look to so many of our you know historical religions and spiritual practices there really is a, a common thread that's it's a it's a pretty um frequent belief that we do have some kind of benevolent presence whether we are aware of them or not whether we are um consciously having some kind of communication with these you know, beings, whether, you know, some practices or religions might call them angels, whether they're guardian spirits, whether they're power animals, there is this thread that there is some kind of spiritual presence that is connected to us, you know, often from birth. So um, when, we, when we think about maybe developing a, a shamanic practice for ourselves, one way to do that in a very personal way, to have that experience kind of like I did in a in a personal way rather than a theoretical way, is, you know, would be through journeying. It would be through really direct revelation in whatever form. And that's at the heart of, you know, when I think about shamanism, right? And shamanism is a complex, um, we can talk a lot about how do we practice shamanism authentically and how do we avoid appropriation and right? There's a big conversation there. But if we look at direct revelation and having our, our own direct experiences, I would just say, well, if you're interested, let's learn, maybe learn the practice of journeying and see if you have that experience for yourself. See what comes. Okay. So for somebody who is relatively new mm -hmm. and they're saying, there you are, you're lying in the field, the practice of journeying. Right. Uh, can you just describe it uh, briefly, like what that means? You're not taking any plant medicine or anything like that. You're listening to the sound of a drum and yeah. somehow you you enter like some yeah. type of natural trance state or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there are some very specific steps and I would say working with a teacher or working with, I mean, there are lots of resources, you know, through books and through courses, but yeah, there would be some deliberate steps to have a grounded practice of, 
yeah, first doing something something to shift us out of our ordinary state of consciousness, right? So I would say drumming is one of those cross-cultural, global ways, percussion of some kind, right? We know that that helps shift our, our brainwave state, right? So some, some people might use plant medicine, but that's definitely not, you don't have to do that, right? Um, something to break us out of our ordinary state. And then... Um, a set of steps that where you um, experience yourself um, in core shamanism, we talk about ordinary, the ordinary state of consciousness, consciousness, and the non-ordinary state of consciousness. Right. So you have the intention of going to meet a helping spirit, and you have some practical steps to do that, and you you do your kind of preliminary work to shift out of our kind of regular going about our business state, right? And then you want to come back into that ordinary state, right? So that we're grounded. We're not just kind of spacing out and, you know, just kind of going out into la-la land and then, right, we want to be deliberate and then we want to come back. Sure. You know, one of the things, Mara, that I think is always interesting is like right now, are you in an ordinary state or a non-ordinary <laughs> state or is it a little is a little bit of a mixture. That's yeah. always interesting to me. How would you answer that? It is. And and I actually feel like I'm, I haven't really hit on the words that I want to use. And I love this question because I think our ordinary state of consciousness is extraordinary, right? To have that, you know, no disrespect to um, those two terms of trying to distinguish, but the lines are not that clear, right? So you know, I have this practice um, going outside in nature, right? As for one example, I may not be deliberately trying to alter my state, but I experience, and I'm sure I know many other people do, this kind of ecstasy sometimes, right? It, it just being there, right? And I do have deliberate practices. I mean, I have this thing called a nature, which is of like a deliberate way of being in the natural environment for, you know, to get guidance or to develop relationships. And people are describe how they enter into a kind of altered state there. But it is a blurring, right? So I think that, um, you know, that line, as you're bringing up between altered and not all, what, what consciousness is such a fluid and extraordinary thing, right? Sure. Now, with Sounds True, you've created this new eight-session audio series on shining bright without burning out, spiritual tools for creating healthy, energetic boundaries in an overconnected world. And I wanted to understand more of all the topics mm. you could have chosen, this topic mm. of the creation of healthy, energetic boundaries. Mm. Why did it seem to you like that's what, that's what it's time for me to focus on right mm. now? Well, you know, at, at this point in my life, and in, in, in general, it's been this way for a while, and particularly now, I want anything that I do to be a labor of love. I, I want I want everything to be something that has really been impactful for me. And in some ways, I mean, I would say since I kind of found shamanic practice, that's that has been my life, right? I'm not I'm not kind of 
doing something as a task. I'm doing it because I love it and it's had such a profound impact on me. So that holds true with this work on um, creating healthy energetic boundaries. There was a time in my life where being someone who is um, sensitive, empathic to a degree, who who picks up a lot from other people. I mean, that's part of my work, right? Is being with people and having um, intuitive insights about them, being able to kind of understand what's going on energetically to a certain degree. Um, but there's, there's um, like everything, there's, a, there's upsides and downsides to that. I'm sure there's a lot of people, you know, in your world who have, who are empathic, right? And that can be something that sensitivity can be a tremendous strength if you work with it and you have tools to work with it. And it can also be a really painful liability if you don't have any control over it. So in my early life, I didn't have any control over that. And I took in a lot and I experienced a lot. And when I, when I got some tools for how to work with it and not have to shut down um, in the presence of other people's pain or really challenging people or situations, but to be able to be present, but to also um, hold my own, be in my own energy, to, to not lose myself. When I was able to do that, my life got so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this topic is so timely, shining bright without burning out. It seems that somehow during the pandemic, and I don't know if it's that there's just been such an acceleration of our awareness of the fragility of our lives, the fragility of our ecosystem, the amount of political divisiveness. Mm -hmm. But I do think many, many people are feeling overwhelmed and burned out by the impact they're feeling, especially sensitive people, by the outer world. And uh, there's a lot to talk about here, but to start, I know you make a distinction between uh, burnout and overwhelm mm -hmm. and just plain stress. What, yeah. what is that distinction? Yeah, and every, I just have to say yes to everything you just said. I mean, um, so many things are coming to a head. And at the same time, we're realizing our interconnection, which is also such an important part of this, is that we are we are so interconnected. We're seeing it in this pandemic time. You know, with our technology, we're so interconnected. With and our ecosystems are so interconnected. So it is. It feels like it's getting more and more intense. The burnout rates are going up. We're in this like great resignation, right? We're all exhausted and overwhelmed. So you know the the distinction there are kind of shades of um, overwhelm and exhaustion and, um, you know, talking about compassion fatigue or, right. Um, we can all get tired. Right. And that's a natural thing. We can get exhausted and then do some normal self-care things and come back up to a place of replenishment. Right. Um, when you start to edge into the burnout territory is when those normal things that normally buoy you back up. It's like, oh, you get, you get really tired. You get a good night's sleep. You, you know, you have a nice dinner with your 
partner, you go for a walk, you spend some time out in nature, you pet your cat, you know, you go for a run, whatever your go-to self-care things are. Take a weekend off. Um, When those things bring you back, back up to a functional level, that's being tired. That's needing a break. Um, When you are sensitive and you perceive something about somebody else, but you're able to distinguish, oh, okay, I, I'm feeling basically okay. I went out to lunch with my friend. They were sad. I came home. Oh, I'm, I'm feeling sad. What is this about? Oh, it's them. Right. And then you stop. That's, that's not burnout. When you have such a prolonged period of um, stress and um, overwork, whether that's in a, I would say whether it's in a professional setting or not, I know like the World Health Organization has their very specific definition of burnout that's in a professional, in the workplace, right? Where you're feeling depleted and exhausted, where you have um, negative and cynical feelings about your work or your life, where you're feeling um, like you're not um, succeeding, right? Like you're you're ineffective. And in general, what I would say, and this is kind of the the my broader definition of this, is that burnout is a response to too much input, and this is where the boundary piece gets so important. Um, you know, we're we're well familiar with um, physical. How do we set good physical boundaries with people, right? We teach our kids about physical boundaries. We we think about emotional boundaries, but this is kind of the the spirit side of the body mind spirit triangle when it comes to boundaries. Um, is when we start to hit that point of burnout, um, we have this snapback reaction to too much input. And this is where it starts to get really potentially dangerous is it becomes not just about us, right? We don't just start to have these internal feelings of, okay, I'm really tired and I'm overwhelmed. It's particularly for people who are responsible for others is we start to push back the, the, the person who is normally compassionate and caring about other people, they start to really not care that much, right? A therapist who is hitting burnout is not gonna is not gonna be as compassionate as they once were for their for their clients who are on the edge and really need some kind of intervention. The parent who's hitting burnout is not gonna take as good care of their kids because they're they're done. They start to be frustrated and right. So I think those are some of the distinctions. Now, you mentioned that this topic became so important to you in your own life journey Mm. of working with your own sensitivity. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about that, your Mm. journey of figuring out how to be, uh, I guess I would call it a healthy empath versus an an empath who is uh, collapsing under the inputs from other people. I knew you were going to ask that question. Um, so, you know, honestly, for me, a lot of it is around relationships and how to have healthy relationships. Um, I think, um, learning to set better boundaries in relationships would be kind of my, one of my very primary things. And, um, that took different forms. 
That's my short answer. I don't, I don't know that I have a great anecdote for you. I can give you the anecdote actually that was kind of the genesis for me of knowing that I'm empathic. It's a little bit tamer than some of my relationship stories that I don't particularly want to share. Um, so when I was in high school, um, I was in church with my parents. I grew up Catholic. And I was sitting, you know, kind of middle or towards the back of the church. Just We were waiting and people were coming in. Um, and this guy walked into the front of the, into the front of the church and was coming to sit down. I'd never seen him before. And I felt like this punch in the gut kind of emotional pain feeling. And I knew, I didn't know anything about him, but I just knew he was in terrible pain. And I didn't have any context for that. I didn't have, I didn't, I wanted to make him feel better. I didn't know, there was no appropriate way to react. It was just upsetting and confusing to me. I felt like I should do something, but I couldn't do anything. But it was this kind of direct empathic absorption moment um, where I, I had a direct experience of being connected to somebody else and feeling um, helpless about it um and very very uncomfortable in my own body about it now you mentioned mara though that part of the kind of basics for you of learning to have healthy boundaries mm. happened in relationships mm. and even without hearing the the stories of right. the relationship dynamics right. what would you say were the the key principles mm. of having healthy energetic boundaries in relationships right well, part of what's really important is to understand where we are at baseline. So, um, you know, and this kind of gets into how we work through this set of tools that's in Shining Bright, right? And it depends on what your unique um, archetypal makeup is. Right. So when Shining Bright and in the energy ecosystem work that I do, I work with a, a set of energy personality archetypes. Right. And we're not just one. Right. We have a, a number of different ones, but they help to illustrate um, who we are as individuals, because what's going to work for me is not necessarily going to work for you. Right. The first part is how do we start to sense our boundaries and be able to change and adjust them? So for me or for anyone having a sense of how do we um, begin to sense our energetic bodies? And then how do we prepare for the situations that we are moving into, whether that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship or whether that's a group that we go into? Um, because how you might respond to a, a challenging situation or, or a particular person may be very different for how I would respond energetically. Um, so, you know, one of the archetypes is the um, chameleon, as an example. And as you might imagine, you know, using the chameleon, it's about how people with that archetype really change based on what environment they're in. And, you know, all of these archetypes have kind of the, the light and the shadow, as all, all things do. So the benefit of this particular archetype is that you, you can be really adaptable, 
right? You learn that, um, of course, it's a great survival skill like it is for the chameleon, but you become really adept at sensing and perceiving um, different situations, right? If I sit in a room with you and I'm the chameleon, I may really understand how can I be in best relationship with you, Tammy? What do you need, right? Or I might be able to go into a work environment and very quickly pick up what's the culture of, what's the corporate culture there? How do I adapt, right? The downside is I may change so much from when I'm with you or when I'm with, you know, in this work situation or when I'm with other friends that I start to lose my center, right? And that's, if I, so that would be, um, it's something that, uh, that, that kids who grew up in really unpredictable homes tend to have is they're so used to using that as a survival skill. Say if, you know, a parent who is, you know, has anger issues or maybe substance abuse issues comes home and that kid needs to be invisible to, you know, not have problems. Um, not everybody with this archetype has that background, but it's just a common pattern. Um, so the shadow side is if you change so much, you kind of, you, you may lose sight of who you are, right? So in relationships, if I had that archetype, um, one of the ways that I would start to create healthy boundaries would be to get clear of who I am in my home-based state, right? That might not be the issue for you. The issue for you might be, um, you know, one of the, one of the other patterns. You've been listening to Insights at the Edge. Are you ready for a hard pivot? In speed skating, a hard pivot is a sudden change in direction and velocity that requires attention, courage, and split-second timing. For Olympic hero Apollo Anton Ono, the most frightening hard pivot of his life didn't happen on the ice, but rather when he had to hang up his skates for good. In his new book, he shares his five golden principles for pivoting gracefully into new opportunities for success, including how to overcome self-doubt in the process and reinvent ourselves. You can explore the book Hard Pivot at hardpivot.com. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. Now, this whole system of energy personality archetypes, how did you come up with this? Mm. Is this something you created or what is this system? Yeah, yeah. it's something I created. Tell me how how that came to be. Well, I mean, everything, almost everything for me is this kind of the natural world, right? That's just my, that's my my joy. So um, in working with people over time and kind of the... um, the source for the shining bright without burning out um, work. And I think the burning out in, in many ways came, um, uh, that part was not the primary, that's kind of evolved, right? The, the source of this work was um, 
courses that I've been doing for many years called The Energy Ecosystem. And it's about how do we really just understand the, the energy ecosystem that is our individual being, right? And then the energy ecosystems that we create when we relate to others, right? Our families and energy ecosystem, our, our workplaces are, and how do we move through those most effectively? So I would see over time in working with people that there were some baseline tools, right? And phases of, of working through creating healthy energetic boundaries, you know, that we talk about in the program, the three different phases, right? And kind of some standard tools that I would say are good for everybody. But then I would see over time, there were these um, qualities repeating, right? You know, maybe somebody else would see them in some other way that weren't related to animals, but that's what, you know, I think we can look to nature as a model for just about everything. And in this way, they, they presented to me as um, mostly as, as animals, right? And it's kind of evolving a little bit. It's going to kind of expand into plants and elements and other things too. I work a lot with- the- Oh, interesting. Interesting. The energy personality archetypes that you introduce in the series, Shining Bright, mm. the hermit crab, the puppy, yeah. the cat, the octopus, the bull, the mouse, yeah. the hummingbird, yeah. butterfly, rabbit. And I thought, well, where's this list going? Is there yeah. an end to it? But these were the These were the ones you introduced- Right. Uh, well, I mean, I think we can, and so this is, these are my list. These are ones that I see often that are really, you know, evolved at this point. Um, and again, I, you know, I have them for elements as well. We just didn't talk about them there and for some plants too. Um, and, and for pairings, because so often there's, um, we're in paired relationship dynamics and some, some of those are the most challenging to work with. So we talk about those in the course as well. Um, can you give me an example of a pairing? Predator prey, right? Um, sociopath empath. It's a big one. Um, so, um, but I also would encourage people to come up with their own, right? Uh, just like with everything, I don't think I or anybody else is the be all and end all in. Um, you know, being the authority about something. So those are mine. But then in, in classes too, I would say, okay, let's let's think about how you might, you know, which of these do you relate to? But then also we can we can be creative. People can come up with their come up with their own, um, and see where they see where they take it. Right. So I see this as something that's going to expand over time for sure. Tell me a little bit about the octopus personality archetype. Ooh. They're such such incredible creatures, and they're really having their, having a moment in recent recent times, right? So they have such a, and I'm not you know I'm not a biologist, so you know I have to always be careful to kind of stay in my lane about how I. Their um, whole neurological system is different, right? We're, like where where they're how they process information is very different but they're fantastically intelligent. And um, octopus people feel often feel like they are brilliant and otherworldly to me, that they are um, 
sometimes maybe a little complex and hard to relate to, but, um, but fascinating. I'm going to give you a very brief one on this, but very fascinating people to be involved with. They do have some of the same, a little bit of the chameleon uh, of being able to change to their environment, but they perceive in this um, very broad spectrum way that some empathic people do um, of being very um, like understanding things from wholly different perspectives than the average person would, right? Different, having a different kind of sensing. One of the challenges of being in relationship, um, either being in relationship to an octopus person or being one yourself, is the tendency to um, to kind of shut it down very quickly, right? Dash off very quickly. You're there and then you're gone. So once we know which of these personality archetypes energetically we connect with, maybe it's one of the ones that I mentioned that you teach about in the series or mm. something else that occurs to us. Mm. You know, you mentioned it could be plants. So maybe I relate to the, you know, who knows, the the willow tree or yeah. it could be all kinds of things. How does that information then help me? How does that serve me? Right. So, which is a great question. So if I was working with someone or if you were, you know, taking the class or, you know, working through the audio course, um, the more that we can know about ourselves at baseline, and this applies to the archetypes, it applies to sensing your energetic body, it applies to everything, it applies to, you know, some of the exercises that I'll walk you through in the audio course about reflecting back on patterns. Um, the more we can understand ourselves energetically and understand our patterns, the better equipped we are moving into the future with our current relationships or with future relationships, right? Which is the whole point of this. How do we get better at um, creating resilience, creating healthier um, relationships to ourselves and to other people? So if you know that, I mean, I'll just, I'll come back to the chameleon, right? We'll just stick, we don't want to give them all away, right? <laughs> um, if, if you understand what the, light and the shadow qualities are about these archetypes. You wanna play up the light and you wanna bring light to the shadow, right? So you, you become aware that the shadow side can be a liability and you wanna capitalize on what's a native strength, right? It's just like, you know, in positive psychology, there are the, you know, you wanna work with your, your character strengths. So focus on what's what's naturally good about you. Just like in the animal, nature's, you know, in general, in the animal kingdom, in the plant kingdom, I don't, I don't think the animals are struggling over um, what they're not good at. They're doing what they are naturally good at. So when you realize what your, what your positive qualities are, you really want to work with that but you also then want to say, oh, okay, here's where this might be an Achilles heel for me. This might be actually creating problems for me in my relationships or in my relationship to myself or others. So once you're aware of that, then it's in your power to take active steps to change it. All right. Well, let's just talk about one more. Let's talk about the puppy. Oh, and uh, I think... Okay. 
<laughs> Maybe it's easy for us to connect with the positive energetic qualities. Mm. Uh, you know, I love puppies. What's yeah. what's the shadow side Who of the puppy personality type? Yes. Who doesn't love a puppy? Puppies are wonderful, right? One of the things that I think we, uh, most of us, you know, love about puppies is how they love us, right? They are forgiving. They are playful. They, they are so open and vulnerable to us and keep coming back, right? Um, and those things that make puppies so endearing are make you vulnerable if you have the puppy archetype. So just, you know, the shadow side of the puppy can be that sometimes they have a tendency to go back to people in relationships who aren't really that good for them is one. Also puppies, you know, this can be endearing, it can be fun, but puppies sometimes have a little struggle with self-regulation, right? All right. Makes good sense. Yeah. Now you mentioned that you teach on three different phases mm. of creating healthy energetic boundaries. What are those three phases? Yeah. Well, it's kind of, um, you know, before, during, and after preparation in the moment and cleansing. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do to prepare ourselves um, to have boundaries that are flexible, to have boundaries that match the circumstances that we're going to be facing, to, to be um, dressed appropriately for the energetic climate that we're going to be in, so to speak, right? So there's preparation work. Just like anything, the more prepared we are, the better off we're going to be, okay? So, so part of the work, part of the, you know, the audio course is about what do you do to kind of prepare yourself? Then there's what happens when you're in a situation, right? We can all be, you know, like ready to go and then we're home and we're just chilling out. We don't know, we're, we haven't faced anything, right? So what happens in the moment? And sometimes that's a circumstance that you've planned for. So you're, you know, you've pr prepared, it's something that you've anticipated. And then there are things that, that catch us off guard, right? So we wanna have some tools that are both um, kind of like, you know, quick tools and then, you know, things that you've layered on. And then what do you do after the fact? How do you, um, you know, cleanse yourself if you've taken on energy that isn't yours? You know, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of this. And this is kind of goes back to my own relationship question, which I know I kind of sidestepped a little bit <laughs> earlier. So, and this actually just happened. I was on the phone with my mother and she was telling me about a particular pain that she was having. And, um, you know, it was, it was a fine conversation and, you know, I love my mom. And a little while later, I had a pain in the exact same place that I didn't have before. So that was, that was empathic absorption. I had, it, it was very pretty benign, you know, mild example of, I wasn't putting up particularly, I hadn't kind of prepared and like, you know, braced myself for this conversation for my mother. It was just like we were having a casual conversation, but I had taken on something into, into my body through, through my empathy with my mother's pain, right? And um, 
I, you know, would do anything I could to help my mother. I love my mother, but me having that pain wasn't doing any, her any good. Right. And we, we talk about this a lot in, in the course is like the difference between compassion and empathy, which one's useful and which one's really not that useful, um, that we want to, we want to modulate. So in that instance, I might in previous years, like before I got into this work, I might've had that pain for a while once it got there. But, but at this phase in my life, it was like, oh, oops, you know, I, I got, had some tools and that would be fa phase three tools to clear off what wasn't mine. I think people have a lot of confusion about this difference between empathy and compassion. It's something that I think there's a lot of new information about. How do you see that, yeah. Mara? Um, I think they're quite different and, I, and there is a lot of new information and there's a lot of research um, you know, th through neuroimaging, there's, um, there, those two things are processed differently in our body. And the distinction is really important. I think that we, I mean, there's certainly a whole lot about empaths, right? Over the last decade or so that's come up a lot. And we're used to thinking about empathy as being this wholly positive thing. And when, and when you look at the definition, you know, in the dictionary, there's, some of it is about we're just having you know sympathy for a person, but much of the definition of of empathy technically is about having a lived experience of somebody else's experience, a shared experience of it. And um, compassion, on the other hand, is really having a you know it's having positive feelings towards someone. It's having. Um, you know, the desire to help, to be present with, you know, being in solidarity with your fellow beings, but it's not about absorbing and taking on somebody else's pain. And, you know, what the studies show is that when we move into that state of true empathy, without absorbing and taking somebody else's experience into our body, that actually inhibits our capacity to be of use. So, you know, not only does it make our experience generally of moving around the world more exhausting and more painful, because boy, we know there's a lot of suffering in the world. There's a lot of joy in the world, but there's a lot of suffering. Um, it prevents us from serving our the other people and ourselves the way we want to. So if we can make that distinction more and more that, yeah, we want to be present, we want to be compassionate, but we don't need to take it into our body to do that. And that's, that is really the crux of when I'm talking about healthy energetic boundaries, that's what I'm talking about. It's not about, I've got to set up boundaries and I've got to cut these people out of my life. It's not about everybody's toxic and I'm going to, not that there aren't toxic relationships. Right. And, and that's part of, part of my lesson too. But, um, there's, um, there's a very big difference between, um, you know, a boundary being everything's got to be the other <laughs> and it's got to be, you know, pushed aside and my boundaries have to be all or nothing and being able to stay present. I mean, I think real resilience is not about cutting out all of the challenging situations and people from your life. Real resilience is about being able to increase our ability to be with difficult people and difficult circumstances and, and be okay. 
Now, now, let me ask you a question, Mara. When you discovered, oh, empathic absorption with my mother, you know, the yeah. mother-daughter thing, I right. can totally get that. And you were like, oh, okay, I have taken in her physical symptom. Right. What did you do then to have it released from your body? I mean, for me, so much of these tools are happen so quickly now that it was, you know, a moment of awareness and then... Um, you know, some, some of my energy, energetic cleansing methods to, to let it out of my body. Um, in that instance, it's working through visualization to, with that particular spot of where it was on my body to, to make the distinction of what's mine and what isn't mine. Um, so I kind of, I layer things on, right? I, I call on help. I envision what's there and what shouldn't be there. And, you know, I work with different, um, um, I think I was working with the element of water in that particular instance, but a lot of times I'll call, I'll call on like working in partnership with elements as well. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this question, what's mine and what isn't mine. Mm. Uh, I think that can sometimes be really confusing for people. I don't know. I don't know if it's mine or if it's not mine. Uh, how, how do you get an accurate answer to that question? Yeah. And I think it is, it is really um, confusing and it's blurred, right? So it's like, oh, maybe, maybe this is a genetic issue. You know, maybe like, maybe I'm about to get this thing, right? So I am really, I mean, I'm very open to things being more complicated than we, than we seem at first, right? So in that instance, it was able to feel relatively straightforward and why I would use it as an example in that it was not there, there, now it's not there. We, we may find at some point in the future that it's more complicated, but. Um, so, you know, in some ways, everything is all of ours, right? And I think that's the, you know, to your, to your point that that insight and that shared, we have shared boundaries. We, I think as, as humans, we, uh, we try and make sense of things often by putting labels and, and putting boundaries and, and trying to order things. Right. And um, don't let me forget to come back to that exact question because this is a slight side tangent, but I think about this with, with shamanic practice too, right? And cosmologies. And are we really going up? Are we going down? Are we going here? It's like, ah, everything is kind of holographic. And I'm sure there are, there are people who, um, you know, understand the way the whole universe works. And, you know, again, I, I feel like we're babies. I'm a, I'm a baby in this work, you know, in general. And so I, I always want to be really careful to leave space sure. for definitions that are not too rigid. Sure. I appreciate the humility. I think that though I'm looking at it from a very pragmatic standpoint right. in terms of like how people work with themselves right. when they're trying to sort out this symptom, this issue, yeah, how do I know? How do I, yeah, right. how do I know? Right. 
So, so there are different ways that I would approach that. And, and part of what you're asking gets to one of the things we talk about right away in the, um, in the course is this idea of one and all one, right? It's, it's paradoxical. We, we are discrete beings, right? We, we, we are individuals and we do share. So like to be practical, I mean, there are different ways that I would help somebody, um, get the best knowledge that they could about something. I mean, even to the point of honing um, our intuitive abilities, right? So that's kind of another area of work that I do. And some of those can be very simple. There are some ways that you can get at even asking yourself very precise questions. um, and, And this gets to kind of the prep work and seeing how those feel in your body before you have an urgent question about, you know, is this complicated sensation mine or not mine? If you have done your prep work to say, how, how does my body react? What is the cue that my body gives me when something is truth is true or false? You're ready. That becomes a, that becomes a, a tool for you. Right. And then when you need to find out if something is true or false, you've already learned, you have this, um, it's like, uh, it's like your own personal dictionary of a sensation right? Ask yourself things that you already know are true, things that you already know are false and see what happens in your body. And then when you need to ask yourself something that you're not really sure about, see what happens. Mm-hmm. That's one. Now, one, one question I want to ask you, Mara, yeah. I've worked with an energy healer before who talks about how we have like an egg around us, mm-hmm. our own little uh, world that's our personal energy. And I wonder if you experience that or not. Do I experience that we have our own personal? I do think we have our own personal. Like an egg, kind of like shaped like an egg and that we can fill that uh, egg shape around us with our own frequency and light and that it's valuable to do that. Yeah, I, I do think so. I mean, one of our one of our meditations is about that. And for the point of having that inner, I mean, when I talk about shining bright, right? I mean, there's different ways to to kind of interpret that and work with that. Um, and one of the things that I think is important about that radiance and that that inner light that can, it can be egg shaped, it can be, you know, it can take different shapes, but that the light is coming from the inside, right? So yeah, we do. I mean, I, I do think we have, we have our, the energy that in, is, infuses our physical bodies as part of our, it's part of our signature, it's part of who we are. And I think that the more that we um, focus on it, pay attention to it, mm, stoke it up, that itself becomes a protective factor. That becomes part of creating a, a stronger, more resilient boundary. I, I mean, I, there's a part of me that like, I don't like the word boundary, right? Um, I will always kind of think of how do we come up with uh, other words for that? Um, you know, some boundaries are hard and fast, but we want to think about how um, do we work with them in a way that's flexible, right? Some boundaries are porous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're working to create this kind of radiant egg, or I talk about it maybe as a cocoon that's cu- that you form from the inside, right? Um, then 
it, you know, it becomes less about you're, you're taking something from the outside to be protective of you. Right. But we can have, you know, you can work with it all different ways. When it comes to shining more bright from the inside, you have this phrase powering on. Mm -hmm. How do people amplify and power on mm -hmm. so that there's more radiant light coming from the inside? Yeah. Um, well, we, you know, we layer on the tools that we, that we use. Um, the, the, the powering on is, it's like, it's a sequence, right? So I think, you know, that is part of the preparation work in thinking about what's, what's my day going to be like today? How do I want to, how do I want to go outside right now or, or inside, or how do I want to get onto this meeting? What state do I want to be in? Is this a, is this a, um, a conversation or an interaction where I want to be as, as wide open as possible? Meaning I don't have, I feel completely comfortable. This is, you know, maybe I'm at home, the equivalent of I'm at home and the weather's balmy and I feel totally safe. And there's nothing that needs to, you know, this is a, a state where I want my boundary to be totally permeable. Things can come in, things can go out, right? Or is this a state where I want to be present and aware, but I also do want to be protective. I want to keep everything that's happening on the outside on the outside in this meeting, mostly, right? Or is this kind of a, a full lockdown situation where whatever I'm layering on in this, I want to be like in a power posture where I'm, I'm very aware, I'm very vigilant, and, and I don't want anything to come in. Right. So, so in that, in that process of, of, of powering on, right, you, you, you're having some discernment and decision making over how you want to be in the world. And, you know, we kind of also get to decide how we want to shine, right? Sometimes you want to be shiny and bright and, you know, fill up space and, and anybody can perceive it. Other times you might decide that you want to be a little less visible, right? So again, going back to, um, you know, my, my favorite example, the chameleon archetype is sometimes there's a benefit in being less visible. And there are other archetypes that use this you know, use this visibility, invisibility thing too. There's nothing wrong with holding your energy close. There's nothing wrong with, um, I mean, the, the, the introvert, extrovert energetic dynamic is a, you know, the kind of classic, you know, duality there is, you know, the introverted people tend to, their energy often comes a little closer and people misinterpret that, you know, puppy energy, Sure. You know, big expansive, sometimes cat energy is held in a little closer. It doesn't mean it's any more radiant or any less vibrant, but people sometimes perceive it a little differently. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, I wanted to ask you one very specific question uh, that's embedded in the subtitle to mm -hmm. this new audio learning series that you've created. Okay. So Shining Bright Without Burning Out, Spiritual Tools for Creating Healthy Energetic Boundaries in an Overconnected mm -hmm. World. Mm -hmm. So how is it that we're over-connected? Mm. Yes, over-connected world. We are, 
extraordinarily interconnected in so many ways on every level, right? We can, we think about that on the personal level, on the spiritual level, ecologically, technologically, um, financially, right? On every possible level. Um, so I think when we are connecting the the concepts of burning out and overconnection. It's the there there are so few places where we get a break from our interconnection that everything starts to feel overconnected, right? Most of us can't come home, well, now we're home all the time, you know, after work and not still feel that we're connected to the workplace because we're, you know, we're required to be on 24/7 because we still have our phones, right? So so many of the spheres that we operate within are are blurring together in ways that can feel overconnected. So I think the the subtitle there we could use interconnected, we could use overconnected, but the the feeling of being overconnected can lead us to the sense of of overwhelm that can lead us to the sense of burnout until we learn to to navigate the intense and pervasive interconnection that we have. And then uh, finally, Mara, yeah. you, you write about how a shamanic practitioner is someone who can see through the eyes of the heart. Mm. And I was wondering what that experience is actually like mm. for you. What does that mean to you when you think, mm. oh, in this situation, I can feel I'm seeing through the eyes of the heart. Mm. What's that like? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a... In so many different cultures, the words that describe a shaman or in what you're asking a shaman, a shamanic practitioner is about perceiving differently, right? Whether it's through the heart or in the seeing in the dark. Um, so for me, that's often about, it's about sensing with our full capacity. So often the information that, that comes to me, um, well, it comes in different ways, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's images, sometimes it's words, but so often it comes through this, Hard, hard to translate, which is why I'm pausing here, but this sensation that feels so utterly loving towards the person that I'm working for, that the compassionate spirits who come forward to be of help, to either give information or, or do healing work are, are so loving towards us, um, that it's like being a vessel for that love and compassion coming through. And then it's my job to somehow either communicate that to the person or just let it flow through. And it's, um, it's, it's very powerful. I, you know, it, it becomes wordless, but it becomes this just very, very, very loving feeling. Wonderful. I've been speaking with Mara Bishop with Sounds True. She's created a new eight-session audio learning series 
It's called Shining Bright Without Burning Out, Spiritual Tools for Creating Healthy Energetic Boundaries in an Overconnected World. And it's a whole toolkit and a progressive path of training so that you can learn to, yes, create healthy energetic <laughs> boundaries and celebrate your sensitivity. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Sounds true. Waking up the world. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com. Waking up the world.